Okay, so now we come to our reading, and then our pastor Nick will bring the message to us. So we're going to read from, so Revelation 21 from verse 22, and I'm going to read through to chapter 22, verse 4. So our reading starts this way. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the trees of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. This is the word of the Lord. So as Nick comes to share the message with us, I'll just pray for him. Lord, we thank you for our pastor, our pastor teacher, shepherd Nick. He works tirelessly to bring the truth of your word to us, Lord, and to care for his, the people that you have put in his charge. And Lord, we pray for him now as he brings your word to life and explains it to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Mark. I think it'd be helpful if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. We will come back to... To Revelation 21. That is, of course, the new creation, the heavenly Jerusalem in the new creation. But if we come back to the, the very beginning of John's gospel. And our passage this morning is just verses 4 to, to 9. But I'm going to start reading uh, at the beginning. So beginning of John, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all those who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we're thinking about the light of the world. And when you, think of, when you get that picture in your mind, we've sung, a couple, we've sung a couple of songs, haven't we, about Jesus, the light of the world, Jesus, hope of the nations, light of the world. Um, what, what picture? I don't know what picture first comes to your mind. Um, it might be this very famous 
That's not a very good <laughs> representation of it, but it's a famous uh, Holman Hunt painting from about 1854 uh, of Jesus, the light of the world. Um, or maybe when you think, I don't know what you think, or maybe you think of uh, this time of the year, um, little nativity pictures, and there's one, and you can see that it's, um, the, the stable itself is glowing. Um, and it's tempting, I think, as soon as you put it into picture terms, Jesus, light of the world, he has to somehow glow. He either has to have a halo or carry a light, or, or the stable has to be lit up with his radiance, all of which never actually happened. Okay, so Jesus never glowed. Can I, can I tell you that? Just, you know, he was an ordinary person all the way through his life. Um, Isaiah says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Jesus never glowed. Okay. Maybe his biggest moment of glory, if glory is to somehow glow, is to hang on a cross. Jesus says to his father, glorify me now before he, before he goes to the cross. He never glowed, but he did show the glory of God. But nevertheless, um, Jesus, the light of the world, is, is, is one of our kind of key Christmas themes, isn't it? On the basis of Isaiah 9 and John 1. So Isaiah 9 says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, for to us a child is born. It's Isaiah 9. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When Jesus comes, uh, light dawns. Light dawns, and, and particularly light dawns on the Gentiles, which is good news to us as Gentiles. And then in 1 John 1, 9, we read, as we read just now, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And Jesus uses this title of himself during his ministry. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We read that in communion a few moments ago. And God willing, we'll look at those I am statements in the run-up to, to Easter. So we're not going to go there now. But here's the one thing that's struck me. Um, looking at this this week. Jesus always was the light of the world and always will be the light of the world. Jesus was the light of the world before he came into the world. Okay, going to bend your minds a bit, hopefully. He will never stop being the light of the world, even when this world, this earth, is made new. So let's explain. Let's see if we get our heads around that. And to do that... We have to go back to the beginning of John 1. Um, and in the beginning um, was the word. In these very first verses, uh, verses 1 to 3, we saw that last week, John talks about the word. And we know from what comes later that he's talking about God the Son. Yes, our God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our God is one essence, he is one being, and yet there are three persons, God the Father, God the Son, um, God the Holy Spirit. And the word is God the Son. Don't ask me to explain it, okay? Just marvel at it. And realize that it has great explanatory power for why the universe is the way it is. Why do, why do people ha are different and yet they relate? Because they're made in the image of God who is Trinity. 
But over and beyond that, we read that the word becomes flesh. Gloriously, miraculously, in perhaps the greatest event ever to happen in time and space, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, takes on a human body and becomes a human baby who will grow up to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. What an amazing thing. Don't ask me to explain it. Just revel in it. And realize it has great explanatory power to tell us what God is like. He is concerned. He is loving. He is self-giving. But here's the key for this morning. Not until verse 9 does the true light come into the world. It's worth having it in front of you, I think, and having a look. You can take my word for it if you like, but it's better if you have a look. Um, not until verse 9 does the true light come into the world. So Jesus, before he was born, while he was the word, sometimes call him then the pre-incarnate Jesus, and at times I'm going to mix my terms a little bit, but if I talk about Jesus, you'll understand that before he was Jesus, he was God the Son. Call that sometimes the pre-incarnate Jesus, but I'm not going to keep saying that all the time. So Jesus, before he was born in the cowhouse, he was God the Son. He was already, in some sense, the light of the world. How can that be? Well, just look at the text. Let's go back to verses 1 to 3. Here, here in verses 1 to 3, we have the Word, we have God the Son, that is the pre-incarnate Jesus. What is he doing? He's, he is creating. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And then it says, in him was life. There's no break. No suggestion that anything else has happened. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When is this? Verse 4, that's the key question. When is this? I think we're back on the previous slide still. <clears throat> it's at the moment of creation. John has not used the name. You see, in verse 4, Jesus has not... Sorry, John has not used the name of Jesus yet. That waits until verse 17. John has not said anything yet about how the word came into the world. That waits until verses 9. So we have to read this again. In him was life, and that light was the light of all mankind. Before Jesus was born, he was already the light of the world. That's what I'm trying to say. So... This is it. Through creation, by giving life from the life that he had in himself to creation, the word gave light to everyone. I, I know it's a big statement. I'll try and say it again. In him was life, and that light was, was the light of all mankind. So in, in the word, in Jesus, before he was born, was life... Out of that life, he was an agent in creation. And what he put into creation was light. And that light was light to all mankind. Whoa. Okay. Is your mind bending? Jesus, acting in creation, 
put into people an innate knowledge of good and evil, which everybody has in their heart, and he gave them a conscience to weigh up their deeds against it. Jesus is part of creation. Um, lost where I was going. <laughs> I was just put into creation life. And that life was the light of mankind. It's, it's the same thing that Paul says in Romans 1 and 2. So Paul says in Romans 1, said, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, I remember God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. It's the same thing Paul says. There is light already in this world before Christ came and he put it there. As we get into the later chapters of John, then the language becomes more straightforward. The light is revelation. It is Jesus' words and Jesus' actions. Um, and life is resurrection life or eternal life. It is the foretaste of heaven. But here, I suggest that we are way before that. We're, we're way before Jesus even um, came into the world. The pre-incarnate Jesus, he had life in himself. He says that later on in John 5. He says, as, as the Father has life in himself, so that he's granted the Son to have life in himself. So only God, only God has life in himself. Life to give. So way back in creation, Jesus was part of that creative act. He gave uh, the universe um, and he gave us uh, mankind life. He called life into existence. He gave life to the inanimate. And that life was light to the world. Okay? So then it's only in verse 9, which is the next slide, that we would read that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So this true light that, that was Christ pre-incarnate Jesus, was coming into the world. So the light-bringing, life-giving word was coming into the world to be its light-bringing, life-giving saviour. So do you see then that Jesus was already bringing life and light? And now he comes into the world to bring new life and the light of salvation. It's, it's kind of... I, 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 Speak carefully here because, yes, sometimes I have to be precise. But it's a kind of change of location, not a change of nature. Jesus has not changed in his nature. He was always the life giver. He was always the light bringer. But he's come and he's changed location. He's not done it um, from outside of creation. He now comes into creation. So he was and always has been the true light. But now he's come. Why has he come? Amazingly, the creator comes into, into the world. The one who heard let there be light and put it into action has come into the world. He has always been life giver, light bringer, but now he's come into the world as a human being. What we call general revelation that's the revelation of, of God in creation. 
that's now become special revelation. It's become revelation in and through Christ. So don't underplay in that sense the light that people already have. Paul says that everybody has the light of general revelation. Everybody has the light of creation. And that light is enough that they have no excuse not to seek God out. Everybody has that light, but God is one step further. And the true light, this light has come personally into the world in the baby that is going to be Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. See, Christmas is about marveling. This, you know, mind-bending, mind-bending and worship are associated things. Okay, just, you know, to, to wrestle with something and go, oh, how can that be? And the next step is to go, well, praise God. Um, isn't that a wonderful thing? So, <clears throat> next question. If there was already, a next slide, if there, if, if there was already life in creation and there was light, why did the word need to become flesh in Jesus Christ? And the answer is, of course, sin and Satan. Darkness has fallen. And darkness, in John's language, is not just absence of light, it's, it's positive evil. Darkness fell as Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. Humans are born, are born into sin and estrangement from God ever since. And what John's saying here in, in verse 5 is, is the light of creation shines in that darkness. It, it still shines. It, it's shone since creation. It, it's still shining today. And the darkness has not grasped it. One writer says that's a, a, a marvelous piece of planned ambiguity. Um, it's this word, grasp. The darkness um, that's been created by, by, by sin and, and by Satan it, it has not grasped it in two senses. In the same way that there are two senses to our word grasped. It's not got hold of it. Mentally, those people are, are, are in dark and they, and they haven't grasped it mentally, but nor have they grasped it, nor have they got hold of it in the sense that they have turned it off. That's what John means. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness has not grasped it. The darkness has not got it mentally, but the darkness has not got hold of it either to overcome it and squash it and to put it out. It is still there. And the solution to this fact that, the, the, that there is darkness, of course, is that this true light, this light that is Christ, is to come into the world. How does that then work? Well, Paul puts it like this. He says, the God of this age, it's 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel um, that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. They can't see uh, the face of God in Christ. And then Paul says, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. It, it's convoluted. People are in darkness. Satan has blinded them. How are they enlightened? They're enlightened when they 
when they, two things happen. One, that they hear the good news. They hear the good news that um, Jesus is God in, in person. That Jesus has come to die for them. And secondly, when the Holy Spirit comes along and uses that word to switch the light on in their minds. There is light in creation. People know that. Most people are just ignoring it and turning it off. And Satan is blinding them. They need to hear good news about Jesus, that he's the light of the world. And need the Holy Spirit to work on that, to turn the light on. So there is speech, and that is prayer, on top of the light that they already have in creation. And that's our job. But can I ask you, how about you before we get here? Is the light on? Is the light on for you? Or are you stumbling about feeling like you're an outsider? Wondering what these other people see um, that you don't see? And if that's you, then just encourage you to come <coughs> to Christ. I would encourage you actually to read John's Gospel, to read on um, about, the, um, about the light of the world. And we'll do that. We'll have a little group to do that um, next year. Come and tell me if you want to be um, involved in that. Is the, is the light on or are you just feeling like you, you're stumbling around a bit in the darkness? Well, maybe it's because then the light has never come on. I encourage you to do something about it. But there's a further reason to say that Jesus is always the light of the world. And that is because when we turn and look at John's vision of the new creation, of the whole new world that Jesus is going to make, Jesus is still the light of the world. That's kind of fascinating, isn't it? It's in his nature. Did you hear all that stuff that, that goes on in, in, in Revelation uh, 21? Particularly verse 23. Where's it gone? The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. John doesn't tell us whether the sun or moon are there, but he does tell us he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it because God is there, and the Lamb is there, and they will give it light. It is in their nature to be, to be light. What an amazing picture. And in a sense, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I have this little lamp with um, uh, one of those funny filamenty bulbs in it, which is kind of arty, um, and with a little dimmer switch by my bed, which is kind of all very cute, uh, but not very good for reading by, you know, and you can turn it up or turn it down. Um, when Jesus returns, the sun is going to look like that because it's just going to be outshone. What the sun looks like to my lamp, Jesus the lamb will look to the sun in that day because they're just light. In that day, they'll give light to all nations. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On that day, Jesus will outsplendor all the best that, that humans have ever made or have ever done. 
says the kingdoms of the world will bring their splendor. No, the kings will bring their splendor into it, but they will be totally outsplendid and, and outshone by Jesus. <coughs> kings, people from all backgrounds and nationalities will be there. Really interesting uh, comment about from Andy Bannister. For those who weren't there, you can still presume we can still get the the, the, um, the links to those talks. Um, and he recommended a couple of books. Uh, one is The Air We Breathe by Glenn Scrivener. That's a fantastic book um, about how, even though the tide has gone out in terms of church attendance, what is left is still being shaped by Christianity. But another one is Do Muslims and uh, Christians Believe the Same God? And one of the contrasts he makes is that other world religions are still in their heartlands. So um, Islam is still mainly in the Middle East, you know, and in parts of Africa, it's still in its heartland. Um, but uh, Hinduism it is still mainly um, in India and in, and in Southeast Asia. Uh, and um, Buddhism is still, you know, mainly, mainly in the Far East. Where is Christianity? Christianity is everywhere and is gradually kind of spreading um, around the, the world. It is different from, it's one of the things that marks it out as different. And, and so, you know, genuinely, then at, at the end of time, there will be people from all nations there because Christianity, you know, it, it started in, in Palestine, isn't it? It's gone through Europe, it's gone through North America, um, it's in South America, um, it's growing in China, um, it, it's in... Uh, it's in the Middle East in small ways. You know, it's in Indian subcontinent in a bigger way. Christianity uh, is moving and going and, and growing. It's one of the things that marks it out as different. John says there will be no night there. No night. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there'll be no night there. That's hard to grasp. Especially if, like me, you love your sleep. But there are none of the dangers or evils of night. There's going to be no, none of this exhaustion that we suffer with now. We won't be tired uh, in the new creation. That's good news, isn't it? We won't need nights to, to restore us and reinstate us. There'll be a sense of always being in the light, and that will be a good thing. Bad dreams, don't they, come at night. The bad ideas come at night. The depression comes over you at night. Night will be gone. And it's so light that nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. If you turned up there, unprotected by the righteousness of Christ you would be blinded and burnt to a crisp. So what do we do? Jesus was the light of the world from the moment of creation. Jesus is the light of the world, um, re revealing himself by his, um, his words and his deeds and ultimately by going to a cross. Jesus always will be the light of the world of the world for all the rest of eternity. What's our, what do we do? What's practical about that? Well, we need to walk in the light of the world. Walk in the light of the light of the world. If you see what I mean, don't we? Has the light come on for you? So I've asked you that already. What do you need to do? 
Or have you seen the light? Call yourself a Christian, you've seen the light. Well, then now's the time to walk in the light. So last time we talked about, as we go through Christmas, as you see the images, like we did right at the beginning, as you sing the songs, and we look at the infant Jesus, remember to see the creator. It's what we said last time. And now this time, when you see the Christmas glow, and we sing about light, and we look at stars, and we have things on the tree, little lights on the tree, Look and see and remember that Jesus is always the light of the world. And I would say look intently then at these three sources of life that we've talked about. Jesus' own life, sorry, his life giving life to creation. In that sense, you owe Jesus your very life. Absolutely. You owe him your very life. Out of his life. Uh, do you have life today, phys- physical life today? You owe him your very life as, as creator. Look at his, so that's looking at his uh, life before he, he came to earth. Then look at his life in the world and, and his life that goes to a cross and the way that his life was lived. You owe, you owe him your salvation. Yeah, I, I know it's obvious, but it's true, isn't it? You owe him that. And then look and, and look to the new creation. And, and you owe him that future too. These are the things he has given you. He has given you life in itself. He has given you a relationship with the Lord. He has given you uh, a future and a hope. If you want to read more about those, go to Genesis 1, go to Psalm 19, go to Romans 1 and 2. Look at those and then tell me what you want to do. Tell me what you want to do. Say, I see that. Jesus is the light of the world, but really I want to crawl around in darkness. Three brief things. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates uh, a brother or sister is still in the darkness. No two ways. There is no option but radical forgiveness and boundary-crossing love um, in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, you are still in the darkness. So this is your diagnostic. Are you in the light or are you in the darkness? Well, it depends whether you love your brothers and sisters in Christ or not. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and then listen to this, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. As soon as something gets between you and love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And this has struck me powerfully in the last few weeks, and I've said it to a number of people. As soon as something gets in between you and your brothers and sisters in Christ, um, darkness gets in, and when darkness gets in, you stumble. You start making missteps in your Christian life, and generally it, it gets worse and worse. You have to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your first responsibility. So, Christmas. You remember we said in 1 Thessalonians, greet one another with a holy kiss. The, 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 the level of your intimacy with your brothers and sisters in Christ should, should, go, should go all across the church. In other words, get out of your clique this Christmas. Okay. Get out of your little church group. Go across to other people and other home groups and at least greet them um, this Christmas. Think about them. 
continue to push forward in making friends across cultural, racial, age boundaries in, in the church. Otherwise, we're not reflecting the light of the world. That's one. Um, Paul says in Ephesians, I'm, just, I'm not going to read this because we haven't got time. Paul says in uh, Ephesians, once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So he says, not a hint, sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. There's a kind of moral responsibility. You're now in the light. So we have to push out pockets of darkness. We all have them, and it's really easy, and it's really tempting. Because you've got little areas that you kind of want to keep dark because, because you like it, whatever it might be. But you go, read Ephesians 5. And, and then 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 5. You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day the return of Jesus should surprise you. You're all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night. So let's not be like others who are asleep. Let's be awake and sober. Look at the light of the world and, and be, be ready for his return. There are moral implications for being people who live in the light of the light of the world. But one last thing really to come back to. So Jesus always has been the light of the world. Final slide. Jesus always will be um, the light of the world. So I want you to as you go through Christmas and when you hear that phrase, just remember this. Jesus always was, has been in creation and will be again in the new creation, the, the light of the world. And just look at him, look into the light and that will change us. Because as Peter says this, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you've not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. With these people who've been called out of darkness into his light, just really, as we look at light um, over Christmas, as it comes up, or as you notice lights hung in the street, just remember the magnitude to which Jesus is light of the world, and just take a moment, every time you see a light, just to worship, and if you get the chance, to speak out to somebody and bring light to them too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that in this very moment you would be light to us. You'd be the light of the gospel, that good news, uh, to those who have never understood it. In this moment, turn the light on, we pray. Faith and trust might come. And that you'd rescue people, even in this moment, Lord, out of darkness into light. You pray, we pray that you'd be light on our lives. Lord, we, we all hold bits of them in darkness. We ask you just to shine more brightly. Uh, over Christmas that we'll see you more clearly as you, as, uh, and as we see you clearly you'd work by your spirit and we would 
let the light into the dark places in our lives. I can't do it without you. So Father God, please do it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you.